it blew my goddamn mind. Uh, like it was like everything that I had been, every question mark that I had in my mind about scuba that, that I could never get a real answer from anybody. It, there was a logical discussion to be had with, with avenues of thought and ways of thinking that that really turned me into who I am today. Off-gassing, a scuba podcast with host Nick Hogle. On this week's episode, I interview James Mott, a Michigan native and unified team diving instructor. As many of you know, James co-hosts the Great Dive Podcast, one of the most successful scuba diving podcasts. We discuss his journey as a diver, the massive scale of the Great Lakes, ice diving, and of course, I get advice on scuba podcasting. Enjoy. James, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Yeah, yeah, man. This is uh, this is amazing to have you on. Um, obviously, I'm a um, I'm a little nervous because you know you've had a pretty good podcast going for a while, so. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess we'll, usually I start with the diving history, but since I brought the podcast up, do you want to talk a little bit about how that got started and why you wanted to go into it? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. That's actually a, a fun one. Cause you know, uh, the, the guy I run the podcast with, you know, my, my good buddy Brando, he and I have been local Great Lakes diving buddies for decades you know we would go to the pub after uh, a day of diving or you know on the way home you know from a from a great lakes charter you know usually everybody would stop off and you know grab some food or something after getting off the boat and having a having a beer and a burger or whatever and the stories would flow and when we would do just regular weekday dives, we'd usually, you know, have video cameras going and we'd all just pop up to the local pub and plug our camera into their TV and shut off the baseball game and watch dive videos and just talk and laugh and tell stupid stories and crack jokes. And one day I just had gotten into listening to a few podcasts and I was like, hey, you want to you want to try making a podcast? And he was like, what the hell is that? And uh, we tried to screw it around with it a little bit and uh, made our first episode. Had no goddamn idea what we were doing. And uh, just learned on the fly. And here we are over 300 episodes later that the show, it's crazy, man. The show keeps growing and growing and growing every year. And um, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing because it's it's definitely something for you know a, a small podcast like myself just to strive for because I, I want to say it's probably not even probably it's the biggest scuba podcast out there. So congratulations on that because usually whenever you know when I first started getting into the the thinking about doing a podcast, it was like okay, well, what other ones are out there? And you usually are like the first one that pops up. Um, so that's, that's awesome. No, I was just going to say, it's, uh, surprising to me too. I mean, it's, uh, I, I never thought, uh, we'd catch on like we, we do, you know, it's, uh, but I, I think just, we're just two genuine scuba dudes that, uh, are just 
two regular old guys that love diving and uh, want to make diving better for the community overall. And it's it's people are liking liking what we say for the most part, I guess. That is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. So I was just reading through your story on your website, and I love it, dude. It's it's an, it's such a great story. You're you're coming across exactly on what you want to do. And you talk a little bit about growing up on the Great Lakes, visiting your grandparents' cottage. Um, is that, I'm assuming, when you first started to scuba dive? Do you want to talk a little bit about your scuba history? Yeah, you know, my f- very first underwater breath was in one of those little, like, three, four-foot diameter blue plastic swimming kitty little swimming pools that's like a foot and a half deep and my uncle had a tank and a regulator that he just dropped into this pool and I I laid in that pool in the middle of the backyard (laughs) at some little family function for like two hours like no mask nothing just like a, a regulator like I was in another world like I was on some giant coral reef somewhere like in my head like just exploring the world and i was like i don't know like eight years old maybe or something like that and then uh when when i turned 15 i talked my cousin into taking a class with me and i I basically babysat for like a whole summer to earn enough money to take my scuba class and get my master's and historical and and uh just fell in love with it like a year later you know, started working after schools at the little local dive shop, and thirty <laughs> years later, here I am. You know, doing the you know, cleaning toilets and hanging up pinky peed in wetsuits. Still doing the same thing thirty years later. You know? Are you still at the the same dive shop? Yeah, it's uh, changed uh, owners over the years. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, it's it's yeah yeah it's it's still a lot of the same community. You know, same same people. It's just uh, it's just what I am, who I am, what I do, you know, it's um, just that dive guy. Just, uh, I'm a tank <laughs> monkey at heart, I guess. No, that's awesome. So how, how did you venture into the technical world? Well, my, my very first go at it was in the, um, mid to late nineties and it, it didn't go really well. I really got the, the, the living shit scared out of me, you know, it was like a Russian roulette of uh, scuba training, you know, back then. And it was just do whatever the hell you want and wear whatever the hell you want. And I uh, took a, a couple classes and it just, it wasn't for me at all. And I really, I, I hung it up then thinking, you know, I'm just uh, going to be a recreational diver. Then, you know, I, 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 you know, came into my buddy Brando who turned me on to DIR and it, blew my goddamn mind Uh, like it was like everything that i had been every question mark that i had in my mind about scuba that that i could never get a real answer from anybody there was a logical discussion to be had with with avenues of thought and ways of thinking that that really turned me into who i am today Awesome, awesome. Were you were you an instructor or a dive? I should say a dive professional at this point, or were you just you know moving through the ranks and then found DIR? Or what what level of of diving were you at when you found it? Um, I was an instructor. I was a, a paddy instructor. I became a paddy instructor in '98, 
you know, it was was just teaching through the shop. You know, it was a little bit different because uh, the guys that I, you know, when I was just the young whippersnapper, little wet behind the ears kid, you know, all the guys that were teaching there were in their like early fifties. And here I am, a little twenty-year-old little shit. You know, comes out of instructor school like I'm gonna change the world kind of thing, and I I had a I had a good good control of buoyancy, you know, in the day, even as a young kid. Like I I just thought I saw that as something that was important, and one of like the head instructors I remember him telling me that you can't teach people neutral buoyancy. That it, it's just, it's something that, that has to come through, you know, over time. And I took that as a challenge, as a, as a very young kid, young instructor, to, to prove him wrong. That I, I could take one of his students and teach him buoyancy the next weekend and, and just really get at him. You know, so and that was one of the other things, you know, when, when, when I learned, you know, of, of DIR, that it was such a, a foundational skill and a building block to what a diver should be, you know, it, that's why it, it fell right in line with, with my way of thinking anyways. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and, and that's to bring it back just a little bit. That's how you said you met your, your buddy, your co-host was, did you both just show up to a class together or how, how did that all unfold? No, no. See, he had been uh, coming into the dive show. He was a he was another he was an independent instructor that would come into the dive shop I was working at, you know, from time to time. And he was doing the same thing. Like he he was chasing something. And I didn't know this at the time, but but he was chasing something too. Like the, there was always something missing. You know, taking this class and taking the next class and taking the next class. And you know, every class there was you know everything that you bought previously you got you got to get rid of and you know because we do it this way now and then you take the next class and yeah we don't do it like that anymore you, you got to change it and get all all new gear for for doing it this way and there was just a never a clear explanation so he came to dir first you know he he came across it was you know it was the birth of the internet and he was one of those early internet guys and and came across a lot of those chat boards and learned about the fundamentals of DIR and a guy named Andrew Georgitsis that was teaching that and he fell in line with him and started teaching and you know we would start seeing each other at the shop and he talked me into you know uh, just diving with him and it's exactly what I needed to see. So when you started going down the DIR route was it I'm gonna. I want to teach this, or was it? I'm. I'm just gonna be a student of this for a while. Like when? When did you make the transition into teaching this sort of, or this configuration, this style of diving? Well, like it, immediately, I started changing the way I presented scuba. Like the the second I saw it, and then like when I first went through that, you know, very early fundamentals of dir you know which is what it was called at the time it, it blew my mind and um i immediately started integrating the way i taught classes and wanted to produce a better student 
immediately. Like uh, immediately I, I went to teaching as much as I could neutrally buoyant, even though I didn't even know how to like really do a whole entire class neutrally buoyant yet. I was, I was on it. And then um, slowly started taking more classes at the time, you know, through GUE. And then um, Andrew had, had left as the training director for GUE and I had taken my technical my like I revisited technical with him because I wanted to learn ratio deco so I went out to visit him and then when he started UTD uh, I got a call and he said hey I'm I'm doing the, the first instructor core of this new agency and uh, I got invited to be part of it that was 2009 so I, I'd already been teaching for like 10 years through as a, as a patty instructor and uh, picked this up as well I'm, I'm, I'm just a patty instructor uh, recreational and I'm trying to move into I was teaching through a shop in Texas and and out here where I live there's the diving is not really there is no diving um, where I live I mean if you're brave enough which hopefully I can find a group of people that will go out with me um, but it's just low vis and and especially in the area where I'm at it's you know you're you're an hour flight away from some of the best beautiful diving in the world so most people are like why would I go here when we can hop on a flight and go somewhere so I'm looking into getting back into teaching and um, I'm pushing independent so I can teach courses, neutrally buoyant, kind of go in that direction. And I really enjoy and w what I've seen from, uh, I, I don't know the exact class, but I, or, or maybe you start all students this way where you put them in a pool, long hose supplied, and they just find their their buoyancy before they even have any gear and, and know their weight. Is that is that a pretty correct assessment on how that's conducted? Well, that's how I teach a beginner today. You know, it's, I mean, that, that's the beginning of our, you know, the, the UTD scuba diving approach to learning diving is the, the, the very first thing they need to learn is to be underwater. And to be underwater, you can't be a terrestrial human who, you know, you know, walks perpendicular to the to the bottom that has a, you know, a, a head looking 90 degrees to their spine. You have to learn the mechanics and the attributes of being underwater. So we do that first um, to be comfortable with water on your face, to be comfortable in a flat horizontal position, to, to understand that neutral buoyancy, flat and in control, and in trim is the crawling of, of scuba diving. And once you learn that, we start adding all the other skills, like put a mask on so you can see and uh, take your regulator out of your mouth and put it back in again. And so then everything gets built on the base of neutral buoyancy so that you never have this need or this urge or this subconscious need to fall back to your knees and fall back to the ground for stability. Your stability is in your breathing. And if, you, if you've got the control of your breathing, you've got control of yourself in the water. And then for a lot of people that are already certified, that aren't ready to take that full big you know, DIR buy-in, which is what really keeps it away from most of the people out there because it's 
it's a real holistic system and approach. You know, it's the, the training goes hand in hand with the equipment and the equipment goes hand in hand with the diving and the diving goes hand in hand with the people you dive with and it all kind of works together. So it's a big buy-in to really go DIR, which is, keeps a lot of people away from it. So we developed a couple of years ago that ESM that you're talking about, the Extreme Scuba Makeover, which is really, it, it just takes anybody and any gear, any configuration, you know, you just, you just got to have a long hose, you know, hanging from your gear so you can, you know, float your BC on the surface and learn neutral buoyancy below it because we're, we're in midwater, you know, learning balance, learning trim, learning, you know, some basic propulsion techniques so you can stay in one position and not have to constantly, perpetually swim forward the whole time. And uh, it's, it's a great way to bring people into just good diving habits without that whole big, you got to be in a back plate and wing and a long hose and a dry suit with pockets and you know you don't have to have that whole big buy-in. Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely amazing. Just because uh, I I really liked that approach and that's something that I I feel I want to incorporate in in my teaching. Just because you're you're really starting from the base, which I think is a great idea. When so I'm assuming that anybody from any agency can come over and take an extreme makeover uh, uh extreme scuba makeover what are some of the and, and i know you've just explained some of them but what are some of the challenges like what's the most challenging thing just basically getting people away from the the you know gravitating back towards their knees it's just like what what are some of the challenges that you face going through a course like that well, the challenges are you you have set yourself up for a difficult road when your your original training has been negatively buoyant on your knees, because when you look at the the Thorndike laws of learning, you know that law of primacy says that when you know something goes wrong, you will generally resort back to the way you originally learned how to do something. So the, and this is why, you know, when you've got the, you know, the diver that uncomfortable, but they, you know, they're down in Cozumel. So they're, they're going to, the dive master is going to take them on the devil's throat dive because that's the, the, the they're going to get the biggest tips if they take them on the devil's throat. If they don't do that one, everybody's going to be pissed off. So everybody gets to go. And when somebody gets, you know, kicked in the face, swimming, th- you know, out of that little swim through in 140 feet of water, and they have to clear a mask or put a mask back on, it, it, it lends itself to breaking trim, trying to find buoyancy, trying to find a, a state of buoyancy that you're comfortable with, which is negative on your knees, head up. But that's like another 600 feet below you is the problem, you know, in, in an environment like that. So getting people to leave that need of, of needing to be what I call terrestrial, you know, like a human being standing upright with their face looking perpendicular to the way their body moves, that doesn't translate into what a what a diver needs to be like. And for decades, the scuba industry has taught people, human beings, to just throw a bunch of scuba gear on and let the scuba gear do it for them. And it hasn't really taught anybody how to really be a diver. And diver is 
you know, there's a look to a diver. There's a, a, a pretty look to a diver. There's a magic to a diver. There's a body mechanic. There's a mindset to a diver that's, that goes well beyond just the equipment. That's what you have to fix. That's the hard part. Dude, I, I love that. I love the way that you explain how a diver should be. And, and unfortunately, it, it, I do see that in the industry a lot. I mean, I have not been in the industry very long. Um, I've been a dive pro for a little over two years, been scuba diving, I think, since like 2016. And early on, you, you, you know, you hear this a lot and it, it rings true. You don't know what you don't know. And it, you know, took me a while kind of t to find that right, DIR right. path. Yeah. So, and, and oddly enough, um, before I even really knew, you know, I'm just kind of piecing together stuff and the, the only, so I'm, I'm big on travel. That's kind of been the, the, you know, I don't want to say foundation of my scuba diving, but I'm always like, okay, what's that next destination? I want to, you know, be on that boat in the middle of nowhere. And the, the first BCD I had was just this big bulky jacket BCD. And, 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 and you know, I, I used the shit out of it. There's, I, I'm happy that I got it. it. It brought me a long way. But when it, when I went to traveling, I'm like, man, this sucks. Like this is taking up all of my luggage. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like how can I streamline this? And, and that's actually how I gravitated towards a backplate and wing just you know, to find out like, oh, okay, this is, this is like a natural progression. I feel like for a lot of divers looking to go further. And, um, that's kind of when I slowly started finding like, oh, there's this whole other method of diving that I really wasn't taught. And, and I, I don't regret anything that I was taught. It's all a big learning point. Once again, you don't know what you don't know. And, and I was enjoying the whole ride. So, but I remember when I, I took my first, I guess, DIR class, it was an intro to tech. And, and I thought, you know, from my reading and, and all this stuff I had, I had all the good gear. And then I walk into the, the classroom and the instructor's like, okay, we need to get rid of this. We need to get rid of that. You need to change this. You need to change that. <laughs> like, I'm like, man, I don't, do I even know how to scuba dive? You know, <laughs> so. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it can be it can be humbling, you know. But uh, you know, you you can't confuse, you know, DAR, and it's it's almost like it's almost illegal to say those letters, you know, anymore in uh, uh, 2023 <laughs> here. But um, you know, there's 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 recreational diving, there's technical diving, there's cave diving, uh, and all of them have multitudes of, of different ways to approach the game which which it really is just a, like like how you want to think through this game and you know have a like a winning mindset you know for for the whole big picture and and to me that's what dir was you know it it, it rang it made sense from you know the sports i'd done in the past from the the martial arts are done in the past. It wasn't just the equipment, and that's one thing I would tell you. That's it's not just getting the backplate that, that makes it. It's not just having the long hose and a set of jet fins that that makes it. It's there's more to it than that, and, and that's the the mindset yeah. thing. Just it's a way it's a way of thinking that is is different that that really rang true to me. So tell me about a. Uh... 
what what's a what's a day diving in in the Great Lakes? What's a what's a good fun? What what what's your ideal day of diving? Talk about that a little bit. I've never been, so I'm I'm curious. I'm glad you mentioned this, Nick, because you know you're just talking about the place where you live and it's shitty visibility and nobody wants to dive there. And uh, you got uh, it's, it's an hour plane ride to do anything fun and cool. But I'll tell you, when uh, when you when you go through some training like like we were just talking about, it brings a whole new appreciation to getting in the water. And now, like I, I can get in the water with somebody that I enjoy diving with, and it can be five feet of visibility, and we can make it a killer killer dive because. We're not getting lost. We're not getting separated. You have an awareness of each other. You have an awareness of the environment that you don't let that happen. You're there's a as wonderful it is to have those beautiful, great, wonderful conditions. It makes you a little bit lazy, you know, because you don't have to constantly check in on a on a buddy because they're always in sight. You know, so I would tell you to, to dive in that little local spot. And if you can get really good in that bad viz, shitty water, not much to see, and get really, really good with teammates in the water there, it is only going to get amplified and, and make those fun dives way more fun. Now, that's the local inland diving that we do in Michigan. You know, that we, we've got a bunch of inland lakes that would be your typical what what you would think of as a lake dive here in michigan it's a muddy marly silty bottom full of decayed leaves and (laughs) fish poop you know for centuries and it's bad viz and it's a soft silty bottom and if you kick it up you go from the good six feet of visibility to zero feet of visibility really quickly but what really makes what we do is out in the Great Lakes, which for your listeners around the world, the, the Great Lakes are like inland freshwater seas. I mean, they're, they're it, it's almost wrong to call them lakes. I mean, they're that big and that glamorous and that glorious. I mean, we're going to be, uh, you know, my buddy Brandon and I are going up to uh, Northern Lake Superior here in a... Uh, about uh, six weeks. It's in the ex- in, it's in the same state that that we live in, but it's a 16-hour drive via high-speed expressway. To you know, not like 16 hours on a two-track road going two miles an hour. I mean, like doing 80 miles an hour, and it's a 16-hour drive to get to you know where we're going. I mean, it's, I mean these are huge lakes with thousand foot freighters on them i mean they're they're enormous and so the, the you talk to most people around the world they, they have a really hard time even conceptualizing the size of the great lakes and uh, the, the clarity and the beauty and the blue water and there's none of that yucky salty yuck in it it's uh, just all freshwater perfection it's uh, it's awesome up here only problem is it's cold what are average temperatures 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That is cold. I don't know if I've been in 40 degree water. Yeah, if you're if you're in 100 feet of water in the Great Lakes, it, it doesn't matter what what time of year you go. It's going to be 
40 degrees in in the warm spot you know i mean if you're like in the middle of the summer you know if you're on some of the shallower shipwrecks you know it, it may be in the the 60s fahrenheit um the water in the the real shallow parts of the water where you're doing you know the the your safety stop, you know, if you're doing a little shallow wreck or even the, the late part of your decompression, you know, the, the water might hit the 70s, but if you're at 100 feet of water, it, it's 40 degrees. Just, there's no way around it. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, I don't know if I, I, I well, I'm positive I've never been in, in anything that cold. And, and to be honest, so my, the first time I ever went diving was the, the, you know, it was the discover scuba dive. I was backpacking through Thailand, you know, one of those typical stories. Um, and then I went back to Austin, Texas and, you know, come to find out that there's a, there's a pretty thriving local dive scene there. And so most of my, you know, courses that I've taken have been in Lake Travis. I'm, 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 you, I'm well, I know you've been there. I don't know how often, but I know you've been there. Yeah, it was, I was there teaching a class last year. It was my first time in Lake Travis. My second time to Austin, but first time in Lake Travis. Yeah, and so we the the visibility can get pretty bad there. And um, to to be honest, I actually I, I at times miss it a lot, even being out here because here you know most of the time, like I said, we're we're hopping on a flight and going somewhere blue and tropical. Um, but I, I, I do miss it and I came up in that type of diving and it really does add a, a, a different skill set. I want to say just kind of what you were speaking about and, and teaching in yeah. that environment. I, you know, I would always tell people like, if you could get comfortable in this water, anywhere you go in the world, you're going to love it, you know? And obviously there's not anywhere. I mean, but, and I think the coldest I've ever been, uh, in the middle of winter, I think it was like down to 48, maybe 45 degrees. Cause I remember like, holy cow, this is freezing. <laughs> um, so that's, so are you typically always diving in a dry suit? For the love of God? Yes, of course. <laughs> for crying out loud. What, uh, what suits are for water skiing or, or, uh, you know, diving south of, south of Key West somewhere, you know, it's, uh. Uh, yeah, pretty much everything I do is in a dry suit. I mean, the, the water's got to be above 80 for me to even think. Like, I went down to goddamn Key Largo last year. I took my dry <laughs> suit with me. You know, I, I I was down and off the east coast of Florida and off Papua Beach with uh, with some people. Uh, I took my dry suit because they said the water was uh, going to be 77. I was like, forget that, dude. I'm just taking my dry suit. And everybody laughed at me. Everybody made fun of me. But you know what? By the end of the four days, when everybody was shivering in their little five mils, I was like, "Actually, doesn't seem like that bad idea, does it?" Ah, oh, that's that's great, man. So out, outside diving, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I've just seen a picture. Do you do you play music? Um, I, I used to when I when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, I used to play in a couple bands. What do you play, or what did you play? I should say. Um, I played like rhythm guitar and harmonica and sang backup singing, all of which I did, all of which I did poorly. But so it's not a not a hobby you take up uh, anymore. Just kind of a thing of the past. Uh, nowadays, it's uh, I've got an acoustic guitar in my little office here, and I strum some songs from time to time. It's just you know I've I've 
went more fully into just doing what I know I'm good at, and that's, you know, putting a regulator in my mouth. Okay. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, so you said that you're about to take a trip in six weeks. What's going on there? Anything you can talk about or? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it is, it's mid-June here, early, early, coming on mid-June here in uh, the Great Lakes, which for us, it's the Great Lakes shipwreck season is underway. Uh, it was a late start. We had a, a long, weird uh, winter this year, but the Great Lakes season is full swing. I'm heading up to the Straits of Mackinac, which is uh, this little strait of water that connects two of the uh, Great Lakes into um, this beautiful area between the north, uh, the northern lower peninsula and the, the upper peninsula of Michigan, uh, Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. And it's a beautiful area with shipwrecks, you know, awesome old wooden schooners from the 1800s and steel freighters from the, the, the mid-1900s, you know, just a collection of amazing stuff and beautiful clear water. So we're going to be there, and then uh, there's a little island up in uh, northwestern Lake Superior, Isle Royal. We're going to be up there. That's a, what I thought was like a bucket list trip that I might never be able to do because uh, the, it's just nearly impossible to get on that boat up there. It's sold out years in advance, and some space opened up on a guy that had a trip and got a hold of us, so we realized we better jump on it now or we may never do it. Kind of a trip so that's coming up and you know then a bunch of other uh little great lakes trips will be popping up through the through the season here so we're you know here in the great lakes you know late may if the weather's good the season starts and it's usually wrapped up by october generally the first the first boat that gets blown out in october they just wrap it up for the year so sometimes it stretches as you know it stretches a, a week or two into October, but generally it's a June, July, August, September thing for the, for the charter boats in the Great Lakes area. No, that's exciting, and I'm, I'm you know hopefully I can see some pictures from from that trip. So no, that's awesome. So if I was heading to the Great Lakes and you know I I, I had the ability to be able to you know go and and hit up some of these shipwrecks is there definite ones that you would point you know like that's the one you got to go see i know there's a lot i mean i want to say there's probably the the most shipwrecks i don't i don't know about the most but i I don't know the numbers but i know there's a lot yeah i I mean like like you're talking like to dive it's crazy you know like i was saying a minute ago about you know how big and how vast you know the Great Lakes area is you know for people from around the world that don't under, don't understand it it's it's not like your local like backyard you know lake you know because when I say the Great Lakes I mean we're talking Michigan of course the Great Lakes state but you've got Illinois and Wisconsin and Montana and Indiana and Ohio New York Pennsylvania and all of Ontario. I mean, you, I mean, it's a huge, huge area to, to try to cover. I mean, it's an extremely vast area. So if there's one spot, I'll tell you, 100%, first top, top of my list is Alpena, Michigan. It's the, for the longest time, it was the only 
freshwater national marine sanctuary that NOAA had. Uh, they're, they're opening up one in uh, um, uh, Wisconsin, I, I believe. But uh, the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary was, was the only freshwater sanctuary in the world. Uh, for the U.S. and then territories throughout the world. But you're talking like Shipwreck Alley, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, there, there's wrecks. You know, one of my absolute favorite shipwrecks to dive is literally in 20 feet of water. I mean, it's a beautiful old wreck. It's on this real rocky area. It, one of the absolute prettiest props you will see ever on a shipwreck just big and beautiful and uh, boilers and you can snorkel it or you can dive it, you know, so it's something anybody can do all the way to, you know, there's wrecks right there in the 150, 200 foot range and beyond that are full technical dives that, that again, I mean, they're, they, they look like old sailing ships right out of, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, um, bow sprints and masts still standing and they look like you could bring them to the surface and put new sails on them and you know head for chicago kind of a thing awesome awesome yeah no i've definitely uh uh i like i said i have not been to the great lakes so i'm trying to think you know uh comprehend on like the the massive scale of it obviously like i've i've heard stories and and you're here telling me um, but there, it's definitely a destination that that I've had in the back of my mind. There's certain places where I'm like, oh, I would love to go over there and, and get some diving in. Um, obviously, I would need to, to prep uh, quite a bit. You know, I do have a dry suit, and I've done slightly cold water diving, but definitely nothing compared to the Great Lakes. So I also saw that you... Uh, well, I saw that you like your you enjoy cave diving. Would you say that you're more of a wreck diver than a cave diver? Is there is it equally the same? Or if if you had a uh, you know free weekend and you're like, oh, I could go one or the other. Which one do you think you would go to? Well, uh, I'm I would say I'm definitely a wreck diver more than a cave diver. I'm I'm I mean I'm full cave trained, but I'm still a baby cave diver. You know I'm. I'm I'm I am like to cave diving what most people that have C cards, you know, somewhere in their wallet okay. are to scuba diving. You know, they I just don't get to do it enough. I wish I did. I, I and I, I I go down when we do a little trip. I, I get down there for you know a long weekend or a week, and it's the same as you know you know my wife who doesn't dive that often, but we go down on vacation. It's a couple of days of getting back in the groove. You know, two days, three days in, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Loving it again. You know, next, you know then you really at a high and then you're packing it all up before you know it. And you're going home and it's months, if not a year before you're doing it again, unfortunately. The, interesting enough, you know, so I've been, you know, teaching ice diving for, you know, a decade or more. And, you know, we came to the realization years ago that on Friday night when we're leaving the dive shop to get everything ready for going ice diving just at the local lake Saturday morning. By the time you get up, 
drive out to the lake, get all the gear you need to set up the ice dive, to cut the hole, to set up the tents and get everything ready. By the time you actually jump in the water, we, we mapped it out one day and we, we, we realized that, you know, if we would have, when we left the dive shop, if we would have just jumped on Interstate 75 and headed south to Florida, we would be jumping in the water in the Florida caves at the exact same time. Like we, we would be getting into, you know, Peacock Springs at the same time that we're jumping into 34 degree after cutting a, a hole in the ice water. <laughs> oh man so as i age yeah I, I would prefer i prefer to go to the warmth of the florida springs than than the local water but this is my home you know i'm a, I'm a michigan boy i don't think that's ever going to change we have a beautiful state beautiful water i'm a i'm a big proponent of uh you know i'm on the board for great lakes great responsibility if i can give them those guys a plug you know, we're on the mission of removing a million pieces of trash from the Great Lakes area basin, and uh, we're, we're well on our way there. You know, so this is home. So as much as I like that warm Florida cave diving water, you know, this this is what I do. That's awesome. No, that's great. And, yeah, we'll definitely uh, – uh, I'll have to – I don't know if – I've obviously never been ice diving, but I, I'm – I don't know if I would want to, to be honest, but uh, I, I, one day, one day I'll definitely, I'll have to get and try it and see what it's all about. Well, if you do, let me tell you something. It's it's the stupidest diving you can ever do in the world. <laughs> it really is. However, I have to throw a caveat in there. I came across this shipwreck that's up in uh, northern Michigan that's in uh, this lake that's connected to Lake Michigan. And there's this beautiful 200-foot amazing shipwreck called the Kuka that we started doing these ice dives on, you know, years ago. And it is like a unicorn of ice dives, you know, because you're under the ice, you have the beauty of the ice, you have 50, 60, 80, maybe 100 feet of visibility depending on the, on the year. I mean, it, it's amazing. You know, on a dive that's maybe got 20 foot of visibility on a good day in the summertime, it's in 40 feet of water, but it's a 200 foot, you know, 30 foot beam, you know, real goddamn shipwreck that's in this little lake that they brought in for shelter one time. And then it was turned into a speakeasy little floating thing back in Prohibition era. And then it sank. And so it's sitting in this lake. It is the most glamorous ice dive in the world, in my opinion. So if there's a place to do it, that's the place to do it. And it actually, it really brought back the the love of ice diving for me. It's because it brings together everything. It's your ice diving, but your shipwreck diving. It's just, it's awesome. That sounds, that sounds awesome. You know, I'll, uh, I'll have to uh, maybe, maybe book a course with you at some point in time. Um, so my last couple of questions for you before I let you go. So as a person that's been in the podcast game with a very successful podcast, what advice could you give to a small but up-and-coming scuba podcast? Start recording. Put it out there. Don't be nervous. Just do it. Just do it. Get your, get your voice out there. Get your personality out there. Um, even, you know, even if you think you know what you're doing, 
it's going to change and it's going to evolve anyways as you go. So so don't let fear of sounding silly and don't let fear of not, you know, doing it the right way or broadcasting the wrong way or just get out there and do it. It's it's fun. You're going to learn on the fly and uh, it's you're going to learn about yourself. So don't hesitate. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And I don't know if uh, the last question, if the advice will be the same, but you are at the pub and you are having a conversation with the 21-year-old James Mott. What advice would you give to that person? Uh, get an education that's going to make you money and uh, don't scuba dive for the rest of your life. Scuba dive for fun, <laughs> not for a living. It's, uh, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, it's funny, you know, um, I, I often say to people that, you know, uh, I'm trying my hardest not to ever have to get a real job, you know, is why I'm still in scuba. You know, it's, it's a two edged sword. I mean, I, I, I love, I love this industry, but we're just a small little industry. And I, I was, stupid enough to find this little tiny niche of dir you know thinking uh you know that i wanted to do something that meant something to me you know when i looked in the mirror every night and that's like a tiny tiny piece of an already tiny puzzle but you know what um i've made it work for uh for 30 years you know so i i guess i'm not doing that bad it's it's awesome i i, I haven't had to put on a stupid nerdy tie you know every single day to go to a cubicle and i hate it so i i can't complain too much no that's that's amazing and uh that's that's a great way to end it man thank you very much for coming on to the show today james i really appreciate it nick i appreciate it, bud it's been uh it's been fun and i i wish you the best with this new podcast man uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hear how off gassing goes um, uh, I think it's a, a great little, uh, little shtick, you know, talking to people like this. It's awesome. So good luck to you. Off-gassing, a scuba podcast.